different for different clowns. You do need empathy in there. People do have this like the character and empathise with the character. Otherwise, they, they just won't find it funny. And it's that sort of vulnerability, childlike quality, I think, that draws us in, which is, like I say, what Stan Laurel had. Different clowns have different skills, though. I mean, I use a lot of skills in what I do, partly because... I'm constantly coming up with new ideas, so <laughs> I need to learn a new skill for that. But generally, it's slapstick, it's physical comedy. And Jerry Lewis used to always say, it's about a man in trouble. And, and Bill Irwin said a similar thing about, once you have a character, you find a problem, you get into difficulty, and then you, instead of just solving the problem, you find more difficult ways to try and get out of that problem. Alan Digweed, a.k.a. Tweedy the Clown, is this week's guest. In this fascinating interview, we discuss Alan's early life and a serendipitous moment he announced to his parents his intention to build a career in clowning. Alan explains the appeal of clowning, the influence and inspiration of clowning genius duo Laurel and Hardy, as well as the greats like Harold Lloyd, Buster Keaton and Harry Langdon. He explains how he made his start pre-internet days at British summer camp, Butlins, before pursuing opportunities in circuses to hone his craft and refine his clown character. Alan describes how everyone has a clown character aligned to our inner child and why the core characteristics tend to be based on different personalities. We discuss how Alan met American clown genius Bill Irwin at the famous Grimaldi Church Service in London to honour the King of Clowns, Joseph Grimaldi, where clowns attend in full costume. This encounter led Alan to develop his skills through one-on-one sessions with Bill. Alan explains the impact of the pandemic on his work and how he's pivoted to creating children's shows online and the different experience of not having a live audience. We also discuss how performances will have to evolve while social distancing remains in place, the evolution of the circus and clowning acts such as Archaos, Avner the Eccentric and Typeface. Finally, we cover where Alan thinks he'll be in 2030 and all the quickfire questions. I hope you'll be uplifted by the joy, optimism and deeply thoughtful Tweedy the Clown. Alan, Tweedy. Yes. Welcome, welcome to the Impossible Network podcast. Thank you very much. And a big shout out to Rowan, Leslie, for the recommendation that we speak to you and interview you. And you're live all the way from where? Stroud in Gloucestershire, England. Ah, and that's not a Gloucestershire, England accent, is it? It's not, no, it's it. It's a mishmash. Originally, it's an Aberdeen accent. All my family are still up there. But I am down here, being a clown. Ah, right. So, yes, yeah, so Tweedy the Clown. So, you're, I have to say, you're, you are the first clown we've interviewed. This is a novel experience. I'm looking forward to this. So, could you maybe just give us a bit of a backstory and the impact on your journey and the impact of your parents? Uh, yeah, so I had a, um, a traditional family upbringing. My parents... Um, were together and still are together and I have a brother and they were yeah I had, a, I had a great childhood as I say it was a dice in Aberdeen which is kind of a village outside of Aberdeen but it's a bizarre place and it's surrounded by an industrial estate really because of the oil um, which was great as a teenager because I was into skateboarding so we had all these kind of car parks and abandoned warehouses to skateboard in so that was great. My parents were very much involved in in the community, running youth clubs. My dad kind of run the scouts. They put on discos. So they they were kind of very much at the heart of the community. They're always there. You know, I'd be at clubs and things like that, and quite often they'd be running them. And I, I never kind of 
I never kind of resented that, or you know, some kids that might hate it, the fact that parents kind of at all these events. But I, I was fine with it. So yeah, that's how that's how it started for me. That was my too roughly. What was uh, in terms of you as a, I mean, when you realization that you wanted to focus on, uh, let's say, being a clown. Were there any sort of moments in early life that your parents realised you had a special talent? for entertaining, for humour, for... I don't know how you characterise the the core characteristics of, of what a clown requires, but was there any early signs? I was I was really small as a child, so I, I was kind of... I was cheeky, but I kind of got away with it because I had that sort of cute appeal from being... I mean, so much so that when I think... I think when I was 15... I went to, they sent me to hospital for about a week to get tests to kind of find out why is he so small. But basically I was a late developer. I didn't Mm -hmm. hit puberty until I was about 17 or something stupid like that. Um, And I think in a way that's kind of very clown-like, you know, sort of not wanting to grow up and holding on to childhood for as long as I possibly could. So I was always kind of... the. The funny kid. I was I was a bit of a weird kid as well, but in in a likable way. I wasn't kind of alone. It's kind of like, oh, what's he up to now? What's mm. what's he doing? That that type of thing. And I was always into performing. You know, any kind of school shows or things like that. I'd um, always be involved. I mean, one of my kind of earliest memories of realizing that I was funny was the drama teacher when this is like primary school say about something like that he had a video camera it's when video cameras first came Mm -hmm. first buy a video camera Um, and he filmed you know all the kids in the class and things like that and when it came to me you know the class it was i wasn't doing anything particularly but it was just funny it looks like he's in fast forward you know and i sort of realized (laughs) I just naturally had these funny movements. And um, so, yeah, from an early age, it was always there, this kind of comedy and absurdness. And I was also called Rubber Band was a nickname I had for a while when I was sort of about eight or ten or something because I just used to chuck myself about and do sort of slapstick all the time. Mm-hmm. Oh, here's Rubber Band, look at him bouncing around. So, so yeah, it's always been there. And when I kind of, when clowning came to me, so when I was about 16, I decided mm-hmm. my plan was to go to art college and study animation because I love cartoons and, mm-hmm. and that slapstick world. It's always been a part of part of my life. And then I realized this is before computer animation, you know, so it's actually you have to have a... Mm, yeah, the patience yeah. and attention to detail, yeah. And I suddenly realised that, no, I, I want to be the cartoon character. You know, I, I kind of wanted to create this cartoon character and then realised that I wanted to be it. And then I realised clowning was the closest thing to it. And at that point, it was a realisation. It wasn't kind of, that's what I want to do. It, it just made sense of who I was, you mm-hmm. know, my personality, just everything. It's just like... Yeah, cloud. That, that, that's kind of that. That is what I naturally am. It's, it's not something that normally the careers advice officer at school gives you when you say, "Here, what are the options?" Or yes, no, they they didn't advise that. I can't remember what they advised now. And I did get the usual sort of, you know, get a real job and you can do it at the weekends or things like that. 
it, it was quite strange actually because when I made this announcement that uh, I know what I want to do in life, I want to be a clown. It was kind of round the dinner table, family meal, and I got all this, you know, um, get a real job and all that sort of thing. But bizarrely, right after we had this conversation, this kids' TV program came on called mm. Clowning Around, and we're like, how? <laughs> and they had exactly the same conversation. It, it was an Australian um, program. It's really good, actually. And um, yeah, they had the same conversation around the dinner table, and we're just all looking at each other going, "Wow, this is weird." Mm. <laughs> so yeah, that's that's how it started. You know, now. Now that I'm doing it and I've been successful for a very long time, you know, they're incredibly proud and all that mm. sort of thing. It was just a fear thing of they knew nothing about sort of the business and mm. can you make a living out of it? You know, so it's, I understand why they had reservations. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. You talked about bouncing around and, and the rubber band sort of description and at school making people laugh. What sort of... I mean, you, you sort of, sort of focus in on on cl- clown. It's, it's a very specific sense of understanding. You could have presumably, with that sort of talent, have gone into comedy, stand-up, acting. What was it that... And you said you, you were always performing at school. What was it that maybe stopped you going that route? Because so, it would have been, for a lot of people, that would have been the safer route. Um... Stand-up never really came came to me as something that I wanted to do. I'm not actually very good at telling jokes. <laughs> so, so stand-up was never a thing. And also, Laurel and Hardy were a huge kind of heroes and inspiration. Six o'clock, mm. BBC Two, you know, just after tea, they'd come on telly and sit there and go, oh, these guys are great. Uh-huh. So I, I always kind of desperately wanted to be like Stan Laurel and you know I'd, I'd copy things he did when he was a kid so uh, that I kind of always knew I wanted to be like those mm. characters but never okay. what, how how to do that how do you you know get a job doing that it wasn't until I kind of thought yeah these guys are clowns and that's what I want to do mm. so yeah it, it was always kind of that really Physical mm-hmm. cult. That was one of my questions about whether there were influential clowns or in your in your youth. Whether it was going to the circus and seeing people in clown costumes, or whether it be on TV. I always was thinking about just having watched you and seen your sort of uh, ability to. Is there's, there's almost like a mime like skill that you have? If you think about Marcel Marceau. There's a sort of a, a touch of that as well, and I just wondered what other uh, influential comedians were from the silent days, like the Buster Keatons and the obviously mentioned Stan Laurel. But there's a, a there's a whole generation of great comedian stroke clowns. Yeah, it was it was always them that was my heroes, and like you say, as a kid, I wanted to be like Stan Laurel. It was never my intention to be necessarily a circus clown. I just knew I wanted to be like these characters. Buster Keaton, absolutely love. Chaplin, I really admire, but don't find him that funny, although mm. his ability with pathos is amazing. Yeah. yeah, It's great. Also, I love Harry Langdon, who kind of 
Oh yeah. Doesn't get so much coverage, but his character is great. He kind of did the opposite from everyone else because everyone else is running about frantically, whereas he just did everything incredibly slowly. So I think he's great. And Harold Lloyd with his stunts, a lot of what I still do now includes kind of stunt type elements to it. I like that sort of having that that sort of element of pearl so that then when you're safe that release is you know is laughter but because also round about that time when Lauren Hardy used to always be on TV Saturday afternoon they used to show all the kind of George Formby Norman Wisdom of course yeah forgot about Norman Wisdom yeah all the, all that kind of people so that that was always my heroes and the people I looked up to and the people that I wanted to be like and like I say circus clowning wasn't what it was it was never really my goal it kind of came about from how how do you learn to be like these guys where where do you go yeah. is there a yeah college degree yeah and and then circus clowning it was just like yeah you you learn from from people that already do it so what I did I because this is before this is before the internet mm. So, so how would you find out how to become a clown? You know, you can't you can't Google it. Mm-hmm. So I I got a job at Butlins. For people that don't know that aren't in the UK, because most of our listeners are in the US, Butlins. How would we describe it? A summer camp yeah. for for families. It's a bit like it's a bit like a cruise ship without the boat or going in. <laughs> That's a great yeah great description. So all the entertainment's in one place. Uh. Um, but yeah, you don't go anywhere. So it's quite famous in the UK, and the red coats is the the entertainers. They all wear red coats. They're known as red coats, and it's a lot of famous entertainers in the UK have started out at Butlins. It's a great way mm-hmm. to kind of try stuff out. I used to go on the red coat cabaret every week and just do sometimes terrible things. I because the thing with comedy. You can't practice it in a room with nobody there. You've just got to get on stage mm. and see what works. It was great because I was allowed to do that. Sometimes it said, "Don't, don't do that. Can't you just juggle?" <laughs> but, but I so I went to Butlins to save up to go to a circus school that was running a clown course, which was down in Bristol, which is near where I am now. But that went bust. I'd been accepted, was ready to go, saved my money, and it went bust. And I was like, oh, what now? So I I wrote a questionnaire out and sent it to circuses and clowns, just any kind of, anyone I thought was relevant that mm-hmm. could help with this study of, of clown. And I, I got two back from about 50. One was from um, Canada, from a show called Cirque du Soleil, which... Oh, I- yeah. Didn't yeah, know what it was. It yeah. the early days of Cirque du Soleil. Yeah, I'm like, oh, some some Canadian circus. That's exciting, Canada. And the other one was um, from Zippo Circus, which is a UK circus, and it, it was run by a clown called Zippo. And he said the best way to learn to be a clown is by joining a circus and learning from the other clowns and by doing it. Mm-hmm. And then at the bottom of the letter, he said, if if you want, you can join us as a publicity clown, which involved doing school shows, hospital visits, walking down the street, handing out flyers mm. as a clown. So I I went off and I I did that, and I yeah I learned from 
from the other clowns and learnt from doing it. And that's how I ended up in the circus. Like you say, it was never kind of really my sort of ambition to be in the circus. Why so not? just so, so I'm intrigued. Yeah. When you said learning to be a clown, I mean, you've obviously got an innate, or some innate skills and characteristics and abilities yeah. that were spotted. They're just, they're you. Yes. What, how did you go about absorbing, like, a, it's obviously like a sponge-like experience around them? Did they coach you and they say, right, do this, do that? Or is it just observational? Or are there set things that you learn to do The, uh, the in the... In the armory of every clown, you've got X, Y, and Z. It, it's a combination of all those things that you say. Like with traditional clowning, there's, there's set routines that as a clown, okay, so you know this routine, this routine, and you can just slot into that routine. There's different kind of ways of falling, mm-hmm. you know, different, yeah. So you, some of the things I learned, some of them I watched and kind of absorbed and it's it's about finding what's right for your character you know there's there's certain routines that just it, it wouldn't work for my character it's a bit like stand-up as well you know a certain comic can tell a certain kind of joke and it's hilarious and if another comic tries to tell the same joke it, it just dies so it's kind of just discovering mm. all these things really so if i said i wanted to develop some clown skills where would you start with me? What would I have to learn to do? Well, it would be finding out what what your clown character is really. Mm-hmm. Just kind of, it's kind of like the what your your child within is what they say. Yeah, I kind of find if you generally get people when they're just really excited, it's very close to the clown character. Mm-hmm. But there's kind of workshops that you can do where you kind of find out exaggerated versions of your natural movements and things like that. I mean, I haven't really done much workshops because most of the time I just kind of go by instinct. But, yeah, that's... that's So you think everyone's got a clown side to them? Yeah, because it is just sort of... A lot of people find it harder to find than others. Yeah, Yeah, I know a few. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, basically, my clown's like very close to the surface, whereas people pushed it way down. And it is just about, like I say, your your childish side and kind of being vulnerable as well. A lot of people find very difficult Mm. because you kind of got Mm. to be be yourself in front of the audience, which a lot of actors will find hard because they're used to putting layers on, opposed to taking them off. We. Aside from relying on serendipity for who we interview, we always like to explore where it's played a part. But when you said, described about watching the television show while you were having, after announcing that you wanted to be a clown, sounds to be serendipitous. The most serendipitous thing that led you on, set you on your journey. Are there any other serendipitous moments or experiences that have played a pivotal role in, uh, to, in your success? Um, yeah, so when I joined the circus, like I say, to be publicity clown, I'd been there a week and the main clown got stuck in traffic and there was no one else to do it. So I was like, ah, I'll do it. That, that was Zippo. Yeah, so he, he was stuck in traffic. So I went in, I'd watched, you know, the show for for a week, so I had a rough idea of what was happening. And I, I did the two shows, he 
caught the second show and he offered me a job like as his understudy that year, uh-huh. which was quite a lot. So yeah, that was just you know, if yeah. I had if I'd been useless, he wouldn't have offered me the job. But the fact that that sort of happened was great. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, I'd just still be handing out leaflets on the street all the time. <laughs> That's amazing. So when you talk about that range of sort of different expressions based on who you are, what are the sort of the core things? It's a long time since I've been at a performance of seeing a clown perform. I mean, I've watched some of your your videos that you've done over the last year during the pandemic. But what are, what are the core components you need to have in your 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 repertoire as a clown? You've got to be able to fall down. You've got to be able to do what? Well, it, it, like I say, it's different for different clowns. You do need empathy in there. People do have this like the character and empathise with the character. Otherwise, they just won't find it funny. And it's that sort of vulnerability, childlike quality, I think, that draws us in, which is, like I say, what Stan Laurel had. Different clowns have different skills, though. I mean, I use a lot of skills in what I do, partly because I'm constantly coming up with new ideas, so I need to learn a new skill for that. But generally, it's slapstick, it's physical comedy. So it is like all the pratfalls and getting things wrong. And Jerry Lewis used to always say, it's about a man in trouble. And, and Bill Irwin said a similar thing about once you have your character, you find a problem, you get into difficulty, and then you, instead of just solving the problem, you find more difficult ways to try and get out of that problem. And that's kind of how you come up with routines a lot of the time. You know, you think, okay, what 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 problem shall I have? What so that's that's kind of how we go about it. Where, yeah, Bill Irwin. I read that you actually you met him or you were introduced to him. He's a he's a very successful American clown, I believe. Yes, Bill Irwin. He, he's a big hero, and I I love his work. And in England, the first first Sunday of February every year, there's this clowns church service in uh, Dalston in London, East London to commemorate Joseph Grimaldi, who's seen as the sort of the first ever clown. Wow. Dickens his biography. Very famous clown. Uh, What's his name? Grimaldi? Grimaldi, yeah. Yeah, Dickens wrote his memoirs. And so there's this church service where all the clowns turn up in Motley. Motley is clown. Amazing. You know costume and makeup yeah. so I, I i went to, i went to that whenever i'm free and it's on i'll go and i went to that and you know there's all sorts of kind of clowns and weird clowns and all this kind of thing and then this guy walks in and my mouth just hit the floor bill Irwin just mm-hmm. walks in. he wasn't in costume but he just came in and i was like mm-hmm. <laughs> most of people didn't even know who he was so i i just went right in and started chatting with them. He was overdoing Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf at the West End, which he won a Tony for on Broadway. So we got chatting and I kind of said, you know, I'd love to kind of hang out and kind of explore time with you and things like that. And he was quite up for it. Luckily, I had a DVD with me at the time. I said, look, here's a DVD just to kind of show that I'm you know, I do know what I'm talking about. I am a uh-huh. clown. I'm not some just weird guy. And he phoned me up and said, yeah, come up. So we, most of the time he was in London 
I'd go up to London every week and we'd just hang out. We'd have a like an aerobics studio with the mirrors and we'd put on baggy trousers and dancing because he's famous for his kind of eccentric dancing as one of the things and you know exchange ideas and hat tricks and it, mm-hmm. it was amazing to have that one-on-one and I think it's because one he didn't know anyone in London and mm-hmm. two he'd been doing that play for oh I don't know a long time so I think he was a bit over it <laughs> and mm-hmm. So he he was quite happy just to kind of, you know, play and kind of reconnect with clowning a bit. But yeah, that, that was kind of huge. It was a, a privilege to be able to spend that time with him. When you're with someone that's uh, so accomplished and you're just soaking up their learnings and applying it through your own lens, your clown lens... Where does originality come in? Because, uh, I mean, it's always that. It's like any screenplay or film. There's only like seven classic uh, themes to a, a film or a movie. Is it the same with clowning that there's never... It's always just a reinvention or a, an expression through someone's personality? Yeah. Or are, think... you, or are you ever surprised when you see someone come onto the scene and go, wow, I've never seen that done before? Not... Not really. It's like you say, it's it's more through how they do it and, mm. and their kind of character and things like that. I worked, when I was on the suppose, I got a lot of training from a guy called Johnny Hutch, who, he was a comedy circus acrobat from Music Hall and sort of, and circus. But he also, he went on later to be Benny Hill stooge. The little guy with the bald head. He used to slap oh him. yeah, yeah. He used so, to slap him. Yeah, yeah. Well, he wasn't the original one. Cause the original guy died, so, mm. and Johnny Hutch replaced him. And I learned a mm. lot from him. He, he also directed Chaplin the movie with Robert Downey Jr. He uh-huh. he taught him all the kind of routines and the pratfalls, and uh-huh. he, he was brilliant at all the slapstick. So I learned a lot from him, and. He used to always say, you, you have to just watch, 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 just watch everything. As a kid growing up in the music hall, he said he just used to sit in the wings and watch every act and soak it all in. And and he said the most original person is the person with the longest memory because they can remember all the kind of routines and bits of business that everyone else has forgotten. <laughs> and then and and that- back. I mean, it's not so relevant now with YouTube because uh, uh. appear on YouTube. But I do think it's it's about how you do it, how you present it, and there are twists, obviously, and there must be some originality. But generally, it, it is quite formulaic. I think it must be quite uplifting to be able to bring laughter into people's lives and. Arguably today, particularly having gone through a pandemic last year, yes, it's probably more important than ever. Yeah, right. What what what's your sense of how things have changed and how have you adapted during the last year? Um, oh, well, so last year I'd done the first rehearsal for the circus, which is kind of like you know first day at school where you meet everyone with. Mm-hmm had people fly from Cuba and all over the world. We'd all got together. We showed each other all the acts and worked out the show. So it was an exciting time. And then the next day it was like, no, we're going to have to close down. I was like, oh. 
okay, what now? But that same day, a theatre nearby contacted me and said, look, do you fancy doing something online, doing one of your shows online? And they were, because I do stage shows, I do solo stage shows as well, little theatre tours with them. So they were kind of proposing that I do one of them online. I said, well, why don't we do just a kids' TV show? Because I'd always wanted to do a kids' TV show and I've I've had loads of meetings with channels. But the problem with kids' TV is Mm. you can't do slapstick. Like... Why not? Health and safety. Ah, yeah, don't do this at home. Which is bonkers. It's it's one of the reasons you don't see Laurel and Hardy on TV, which is mad. You think of all the things you see on TV, you know, you're bombarded with kind of horrible, you know, violence and things like that. Mm. A bit of slapstick, they're worried that it's that. So I've, I've never really done much kids' TV because of that. But with this, I I could do whatever I liked because mm. it was just online. And, of course, we thought the pandemic was going to be a month (laughs) a month at the most so I kind of thought yeah that's fine 12 weeks later of doing a live show every week and trying to come up with um, ideas every week it it got a bit late but the people (laughs) were just so so grateful such great feedback you know because it was a hard time for kids you know and yeah I just got so many kind of emails people saying oh it's so so grateful our kids have something to look forward to they'd be like oh yeah it's Wednesday there's a new episode coming on so to bring joy you know it, mm. it's incredibly I feel incredibly privileged to do what I do because you just create that warmth you know people just kind mm. of when they're happy they just glow um, and, and in these times to be able to do that to bring joy when it's so difficult and it's so easy to kind of have anxieties and get sort of bogged down by it all so just to kind of go and do silly things is it <laughs> i mean is it harder doing it to a camera rather than to an audience well yeah because you you don't have the feedback i mean i kind of i just go and would go into my own little world <laughs> mm. i did say to the crew you know, before we started, I did kind of instruct them and say, look, you're my audience. You have to respond. You know, when, <laughs> when I shout things out, you have to shout back. And they they got into it. They were, you know, like a bunch of kids themselves. Mm. They, you know, and it was great because they were really enjoying just being part of that as well. You know, now try it in. And then they start heckling and things like that. So that, that really helped me along having them there. <laughs> Do you think, I mean, we all, everyone we speak to, everyone talks about there'll be no going back to normal. And in any industry or any career, whatever part of life, how do you think clowning and what you do will change going forward as we, let's say, we get to the point where there's everyone's had their vaccine? Do you think it, something, things will change? Um, yeah, they're going to definitely change a bit. I don't think drastically. I mean, here in the UK, we're hoping to have a show up and running on the 19th of May. I start rehearsals on Monday. The main kind of thing is just having that closeness. You know, I always go out, whatever show I'm in, I go out before the show and I mix with the people and high-five the kids all the time mm. and just kind of get that real connection before 
the show starts, which I can't do now. We did some shows last, live shows last year, and it did feel quite odd, just always having that distance. And of course, a lot of clowning, you'll use audience kind of, I say volunteers, but usually you don't have that much of a choice. You know, you get people like the audience to come on stage with you and help you out with things and do stuff like that. So th- that's gone for the first yeah. the future. And I expect a lot of people will continue to wear masks, so you won't be able to read the facial yeah. rea- the expressions. All the audience, certainly, for the foreseeable future here, have to wear masks. So that's kind of odd. I did a few shows, quite a lot of shows, actually, last year. And, it, yeah, it's just strange to kind of read, you know, I, I mm. think they're laughing. It's, yeah. yeah. It's quite difficult. And also, the other thing with clowning is, there is that kind of... It's going to feel very safe now because clowns are kind of anarchic, you know, and mm-hmm. that's what I like about it. You can go off on tangents and things like that. And that kind of... When you're getting someone out of the audience and you just kind of come close and they are, and it, mm-hmm. you get this sort of tension in the audience of thinking, oh, no, he's going to... Going to pick, he's going to pick someone, and then when it's not them, there's this kind of huge sigh of relief. So there's that's gone, which is an, mm-hmm. kind of a nice moment of um, not not kind of they'll feel safe now because they should always <laughs> feel safe, but just that anything can happen. That you know what I mean? To me, there mm-hmm. always be that element of you don't know what's going to happen, but. Yeah. Now it's it's going to feel very safe, and that nothing is going to happen past this barrier. You know, no performer is going to suddenly be here or or be there. So I think for me, that's the kind of biggest thing that's going to be strange, just not having that physical connection. Do you have people reaching out to you the same way you've reached out to people like um, Gif- uh, the Giffords when you wrote to them back in the day, saying? to you Tweedy can you can you help me become a clown yeah I get I get lots of um, kind of emails and have give out advice to various people mm. which is great to be able to kind of give back in that way uh-huh yeah and what about your use of I mean if for when you talk about describing things like Buster Keaton Harold Lloyd and all that and Laurel and Hardy with platforms like TikTok now, surely that lends itself brilliantly to help you deliver some great uh, new expressions of clowning on new platforms. Yeah, I, I've not done that much on, on TikTok. Um, like I say, I was, I was doing that online show all last year, so my, my mind was very focused mm-hmm. on that. But yeah, there are, there are kind of new ways. And I did find doing Zoom shows interesting as well um, mm-hmm. and just kind of playing with perspective and, yeah. and things like that and having props just out of shot that you can suddenly bring in. So it, it was quite interesting having a new medium and instead of kind of getting bogged down of, oh, I don't have an audience and, oh, I can't do this, just flipping it the other way around and going, right, this is new. What, what new things mm-hmm. can we do with this? So, yeah, I found that quite fun, just kind of exploring, playing around and, you know, doing... I did one Zoom show for a thing in San Francisco. So I'm there Mm. in my kitchen at sort of five in the morning 
being very loud and dropping things if the rest of the family are like, why do you have to be so loud? Mm-hmm. So, so yeah, I always, I always kind of think, take you know, take any situation, whether it's bad or, or, or good, and just kind of go, what, what opportunity? There's got to be a good opportunity here somewhere. Mm-hmm. I, I, I thought, I find there was a lot of positives about the pandemic, horrible as it was, but if you look. You know, I got to spend a lot of time with my family and had a lot of time to just kind of reflect and things like that because being a clown and constantly working, constantly, mm. and then to suddenly go, all right, okay. I remember my most vivid memories of uh, circuses weren't so much when I was a kid, but I was living in Edinburgh in the 1990s. I remember going to see a circus cr- troupe called Archaos that were really out there like punk punk circus and then also I think I can't remember if it was Canadian but it was Jim Rose's circus yes and they were both very different to the type of circus and the clowning you would expect uh, because for me that was a, a a modern at the time a modern uh, incarnation of what circuses meant and so I'm just wondering if you've your thoughts on what the type of approach they t- they they took and what's emerging now that might be new that people should check out so i was very lucky because when i was at school like sixth form sort of time we went to edinburgh festival but the teachers chose what shows we went to see but they kind of chose all the things I'd go to see. So we saw our chaos then, mm-hmm. it called, and I was blown away by it. It was, you know, you, you see that. And to take take the traditional form and just turn it on its head like that was great. And so Circus Oz, which was also kind of a, a new circus, but took on a different approach. But at the same time, there was also a guy called Avner the Eccentric, Mm-hmm. And this was this was when, just not long after I decided this is what I'm going to do, and I was learning all the skills. And he did a one man show, and when I saw that, I just thought that's what I want to do. I want to mm-hmm. do like that, and and I and I did, and I still do do stage shows on on my own. And I got to meet him years later, and actually be a stooge for him in his show at the London Mind Festival. So that was a lot of fun. But what's emerging now, it's hard to say because it's a pandemic. Well, the the show that I'm with and have been with for a long time now, Gifford Circus, mm-hmm. is interesting in that it, it started out and it's kind of still is a recreation of a sort of village green 1930s circus. So all the wagons mm-hmm. are old fashioned. But then the actual show... Is it has proper theme to it, and it will have a bit of a narrative, and it has the full kind of sometimes up to seven piece band, which a lot of circuses don't have now. Mm. And I find I find that, which is why I wanted to join them, is that their approach kind of took the traditional but made it contemporary in a, a real kind of family friendly way. The director Cal McChrystal, he directed the comedy for. One Man, Two Governors, and he, he did a lot of Cirque du Soleil stuff as well. So it, it, that's why I ended up there, because of their approach. But at the moment, what circuses are emerging that I'm kind of mm-hmm. thinking, wow, that's a great approach, 
Is it global? Do you tend to find, see that there's just the, the the formula of what a circus is, and you'll whether it's in the US or whether it's in Russia, or there any countries that don't have a concept like a circus? I don't think there is. I think they all have, as far as I know. I mean, my friend started a, a show recently, well, it's a few years now, called Circus Abyssinia, and they're they're from Ethiopia. And up mm-hmm. until that point, I'd always kind of thought there's there's not really a circus in Ethiopia. And then suddenly all these amazing circus artists appeared in his show. So, yeah, I do kind of think it's it's everywhere. Mm-hmm. Um, in terms of kind of clowns, though, if you look at Tapeface, who did America's Got Talent a few years ago. Don't know. Nope, have, don't know that. Have a look at Tapeface, because... He's, you know, he he's a clown and he's got a real kind of contemporary look. You know, he looks kind of like a goth, uh-huh. and, and he's got a. He puts just a bit of gaffer tape over his mouth, and I spoke to him and I said, you know, where, where did that come from? And he decided he wanted to do a silent act because he was a busker, but he couldn't. He just physically couldn't not talk, so he gaffered his mouth up. Uh-huh. That's kind of become his his trademark now. Uh-huh. He's got a red residency in Vegas now, but that, that's just an interesting because everything he does is kind of, you know, it, it's clowning, but it's mainly adults sort of go and watch him, and mm-hmm. it's about taking a, a new approach to it. So that's an mm-hmm. interesting one. Well, so where do you see Tweedy being in uh, 2030, let's say? Oh, things. Post pandemic. Post pandemic, yes, free. Um, well, oh, hopefully a better clown because I'm just always looking to improve myself. Possibly, I'm possibly doing more acting. I've done a couple of plays. I did uh, Waiting for Godot a couple of years back, and I loved that. And but Waiting for Godot is there is a connection there with with clown. Mm-hmm. I enjoyed it so much. So yeah, possibly. But yeah, I just, I just want to kind of keep exploring and uh, developing being a clown. Do you think there's a role to first to see? I know that there was that uh, the black and white film that won uh, best film, uh, the silent one, well, the uh, silent movie a few years ago. The artist. You, yes. The artist. Yeah. Yeah. Do you ever see a, someone, visionary director, saying, hey, we're going to create a new uh, expression of classic Keaton, Laurel and Hardy films? Um, Do you think that could be done? The problem is a few have tried it with Laurel and Hardy, and it's been terrible. But uh-huh. I think that's because Laurel and Hardy were clowns. I don't think you can have someone play Laurel and Hardy. Oh, I don't mean that. I actually mean just yeah, that's say, right, we're, go- we're going to know a new genre yeah, of right. that type of... But I think that's why those particular films don't work. It would be great uh, if they did. I mean, there was the Jacques Tati back in the sort of 60s brought out a number of that style of film. So, yeah, it's about time somebody did. I've been, I have been writing sort of <laughs> silent mm. movies and hopefully one day they might get picked up. But. Yeah, because you just think about... I remember growing up watching Benny Hill, and then when I heard about how popular Benny Hill was here in the US, yeah. I was just utterly astounded by it. Mm, yeah. So it does feel like it's lacking in our popular culture. Yeah. Some 
some f- that type of comedy. So there you go. There's your target, 2030. Well, I would, I would like that. Obviously, Ho- hopefully that could be it. Yes, could right. Bring back to movies. Okay. Well, we've got a quick fire questions. Do you mind if we go into them? That's fine. Yes. Okay, so what principles do you stand by? Well, just being being nice to people, really. You know, the the whole empathy thing is a, is a big thing with the clown, and just kind of seeing other people's side of the story. And yeah, just be nice, everybody. Mm. <laughs> yeah, it's simple, and we can certainly do with uh, more people are. seeing the other side of the story. What hard choices have you had to make that may have been tough, but did turn out to be the right decision? Um, I'm not- Leaving Butlins is a bit of a hard choice because at that time they'd literally offered me um, to do all my own shows. I was doing sort of a different show every night. I'd kind of written them and they were all ready to go. So creatively I had a lot there, but I kind of thought I'm not going to actually learn that much and that's why the decision to go to the circus came about. But that that was quite a tough decision okay. when it's about the circus at the time and my parents were a bit like oh circus people what are they like you don't know <laughs> yeah that was a, a tough one but it was the right one I think cool and where do you go to discover new ideas or new clown ideas um, loads of places I mean I go running a lot and that kind of helps just sort of clear your your brain but a lot of the time I'll, I'll just play about I'll find a new prop and and just play with it and see what happens. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, there's one where I suppose it's this might be serendipity. So there w- there was one show where at the end of the show they'd fire streamers up and they get tangled up on everything, and because there was another show coming in directly, there was no time to get them all down. So I said, well. I'll do it as if people are coming in. So I got a ladder out and I'd do it and I'd just start sort of improvising. And then a few months later, I got a call. Somebody wanted to book my ladder act. And I was like, <laughs> so I just said, which, which, which ladder act is that? And they went, oh, the one you do at the start of the show. I'm like, oh, yes, that ladder act. And, you know, and in my head, I'm going, oh, it's an act now. So, yeah, so a lot of the time, it's happy accidents. Uh-huh. Interesting. What is one problem that's worth solving in the world today? The, the, the virus at the moment. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Well, probably the old. My head's gone blank. The old um, climate was yeah. the main one, wouldn't it? Sort that out. Yeah. yeah. I think we're all agreed on that. If you get a four people from history that you'd invite invite round to dif- uh, dinner to uh, help plan for a better world. Who would they be? Four people. They could all be clowns. Oh, could they? Oh. They could be. You see, the thing the thing with this is if you get someone from history, mm. you've then got to bring them up to date. Mm. So, so it might have to be a very long dinner party. <laughs> well, Patch Adams. Ah, yeah. He's fascinating has yeah very good kind of humanity mm. ideas and yeah he's joyous um who else would we have i'm gonna see chaplin mm-hmm. even though he wasn't my sort of biggest hero he did have some great kind of quotes and um and his dictator speech is, is very good and still feels mm. 
relevant now. Oh, I have to go put that in the show notes and read it. Yeah. Uh. That yeah, that that's very good. That speech. Who else? Let's have let's have Greta in there because I think we should have somebody young. Yeah, there we go. And Einstein. Let's have him because he's yeah. very clever. <laughs> Fun dinner party. I don't know if Greta would uh, like to be consigned to history, but there you go. In the room with Pat Chadams, that'd be fun. Yeah, be fun. Um, who's made you reevaluate yourself? Ooh. Or what? Or what? Well, I'd say the pandemic, but that, I think that's made everyone reevaluate themselves, doesn't it? Mm, yeah. I think. Yeah, I can't really think of, of anyone else. No. No? Okay. Right, someone uh, that's maybe about to graduate, study, that's got a goal, a big ambition, maybe to be a clown, that's been told, forget it, it's impossible. What would your advice be? Um, try, and if you fail, then it's better to fail. It's better to have tried and failed than not have tried at all. I think that's a quote, but it's a very good quote. Mm. People are scared to fail, and as a clown... That's what you do. Mm-hmm. You go out to fail. You know, your sort of objective is to fail, but then overcome that failure and end up triumphant. Yeah, go out and go out and fail, everybody. Mm-hmm. <laughs> because it's a it, you see people people kind of have this thing that failure is a bad thing. It's not. It's not a bad thing. It shouldn't be seen as a bad thing because the trying is the thing that you should be doing. And if you don't try, then you're sitting at home. There's no growth. So I I think people should embrace failure more. Mm -hmm. No, I I totally agree with that. I mean, it's a, it gets a bad rap failure. And I think it's, it's, I've had a couple of guests say that the, uh, one of the things they've said is uh, that we should put a, I used to have a question asking about what would you do to change the education system? And they said, well, we would put uh, what's your biggest failure on any application form. Yeah. Because if people don't have a clear and obvious failure, then you can never achieve success in anything. Yeah. So I think it's, it's definitely good advice. There was a, a question I'm going to start to add. It might be relevant to ask you. If you were, when you started thinking and saying that that moment with your parents when you at the dinner parties at dinner at the dinner where you said i want to be a clown if you went back to 1617 now in today's world would you change it um would you approach it differently i i don't think so well maybe a text <laughs> <laughs> Communication is sadly not as... No, but how would you? I mean, given we live in a a very different world, certainly post-pandemic and with technology platforms like TikTok and Instagram, do you think, how would you approach your... How would you kick off your career as a clown today? Well, it it, would be so much easier. I mean, for one, Mm. I could have... I could have researched so much about it prior to saying I'm going to be a clown and could have had all this mm-hmm. backup of you know, yeah. this person did it. this is how this person went about it, the Z schools, you know what I mean I just have so much information mm-hmm. and I think and I think that's kind of part of the reservation back then is that 
and the and the fear, if you like, is that because we didn't know they didn't know anything about uh-huh. how you become that. Whereas if they had that information, which you can now, they might have gone, okay, let's let's do it. You know what I mean? So I, yeah, that that is the thing. It's just having access to so much. It's mm-hmm. yeah. So, but the, the other the other interesting thing with technology and and clowning and like you're saying about mm-hmm. the silent movie, it's actually yeah. harder to physical comedy now because we're not as physical. Like my mm-hmm. Lost Property show, I kind of set it in it's a, it's set in an office. The show I do, mm-hmm. well, it's a, it's a bit like the online one. That was kind of a version of of the stage show but the reason I have like an old fashioned phone and everything's kind of a bit like from the 70s is yeah there's more that can go wrong there's more you can get tangled up in you know if you have a phone with a cord and a typewriter and a tape player or a record player there's loads Mm -hmm. of kind of physical interaction that you have that can go wrong and you can do slapsticky things whereas now You've got a laptop, and if something goes wrong, all you can do is like that. <laughs> so th- that's kind of interesting. And I thought about kind of doing a show like that, having there was a Buster Keaton Three Ages of Man, but doing sort of a, something similar to that, doing a simple task of even sort of washing your clothes, mm-hmm. doing it where you're washing it in the river, and then you know going through th- the three different stages to show that now we're just so like not physical anymore mm-hmm. but there we go I that's interesting <laughs> yeah it's interesting that we I think a lot of people today think the world is harder and tougher than it was before but forget how hard it was to find information when you're starting out yeah it's bo- in any in any career yeah yeah interesting we're coming out of the pandemic we're if <laughs> You get to go out for a night on the town, go to karaoke. What's your go-to karaoke song? Um, uh, unforgettable. Because <laughs> I, um, I, I ended up turning it into a routine where you forget the words. <laughs> okay. It's a good one. Is, that, is it unforgettable? Is that Sinatra? Yeah. Yeah, okay. Best recent series, film, movie, oh. documentary from lockdown? Mandalorian. Oh, I've not seen that yet. Oh, it's okay. so good. I mean, so many people were um, dubious of Disney taking over the Star Wars. Mm. Um, I forget what you call it, Star Wars. In, in, in Franchise. Franchise, that's the word. Mm. But, it, no, it's great. Kind of cinematography and the music and, yeah, everything about it is uh, great. Okay. Now I've got on the list a book that we would offer listeners that come up with the best comments on Instagram or on the website. You give them a book. Yeah, we'll give them a book, but a book you recommend they should read. Oh, okay. Most of the books that I recommend are out of print. So let me think. I would say, I think it's All Quiet in the Home Front by Magnus Mills. I think that's mm. I love it. It's quite okay. a dark, surreal novel, but I, I like it. Okay, all right. And final question, who should we interview next? Oh, Jings, right. There's a couple of people I'm just thinking who's most likely to agree to it as well. And you don't have to name them right now. You can follow up with us if you if you want to ask them first. I'm more than happy. Okay, maybe I'll do that, yeah. 
Cool. Yeah, I'll do that. <laughs> All right, then. Well, well, Tweedy, Alan, I have to thank you very much for your time, your great answers, and just uh, your your joyfulness and come across as this very sort of strident optimism and up, very uplifting. So I think this infectious sort of humour that uh, seems to sort of like run, run through your body, it's, uh, it's, uh, it really comes across even on Zoom. so i look forward and i'm going to put in the show notes is it called lost and found your show you've done online yeah yeah i'm going to put put links in the show notes because i think any parent with kids should definitely uh get them in front of it and show them and and have have some good old laughs with the family i I think Um, one complaint on one episode um when i was being imaginary drunk (laughs) (laughs) but i wow i reckon i reckon the mother was um Possibly an afternoon drinker. Yeah, <laughs> guilt-laden. Well, I look forward to hearing you sort of when you're on tour. Uh, if you're ever in the US with Giffords, and if I'm in the UK, we'll come and find you and look you up and see you perform. Yes. Your and book you for your ladder act. Yes. Well, I've got a number of ladder acts now. <laughs> <laughs> it's a winner. Yes. Well, I was oh, well. ringling for a couple of years, so I have have toured America. Uh, oh, there you go. What's it called? Ringling. Ringling Brothers, Barnum and Bailey. Ah, right. Okay. Made Madison Square Garden. Oh my God! Right. Well, yeah. hopefully, when we get back, I'm, I think it's going to be 2024 to pull back to any sense of normality without masks and craziness. But yeah, oh. let's see. Yeah. Well, thank you very much. And uh, see you down the road, as they say. We'll do. Well, thanks very much, and we'll speak soon. See you later. Thanks. Okay, cheers. Bye-bye. Bye. Okay, that's all for this week, folks. If you're enjoying the show, please subscribe, rate, recommend, or review, depending on where you listen. And if you have someone you'd like us to interview, just DM us on Instagram at The Impossible Network or email us at info at theimpossiblenetwork.com. And please give our other podcast, The Raw Hospitality Show, a listen. They are both Fabrica Collective Productions. See you next time.